the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back, May 26, 2021. First off, thank you to John Gabriel and the Hallmans for helming the show the last two days. I was on Monday at the U.S.-Mexico border with Andy Biggs and Mike Gallagher, and we had our summary event last night in Scottsdale, which was so great to see so many of you. I was thinking about the fundamentals of the immigration debate in the context of the things we used to know, things that used to be common sense and so much so rarely even discussed. How many times does one hear a conversation on the importance or reason for a circle's roundness after all? I was thinking about the fundamentals of the immigration debate in the context of other taken-for-granted notions, mostly wrapped up in what we might think of as patriotism and history. Left, right, center, we were all patriots, we were all pro-military, we were all anti-communist, we all liberal, conservative center, venerated our founders and our founding. We all professed love for and of country. To give you but one example of that, when National Review was founded in the 1950s, it deliberately and specifically singled out a then-famous historian for being part of the liberal elite National Review and the modern conservative movement should take on and challenge. Guess what? That liberal professor was also the author of the most used American history textbook at the time, and for decades since, really, until about the 90s. Today, looking at that textbook by the model of liberal elitism in the 50s that William Buckley wanted to replace, looking at that textbook, it's probably one of the finest and best textbooks on American history ever published. I wish it were still being used. Common sense around common agreements. Not really agreements so much really, I guess, as understandings. Perhaps because of lethargy or acedia or propaganda, no doubt in some cases, the common understandings have disappeared. G.K. Chesterton once remarked that if we asked the modern man to explain what is wrong with the practice of cannibalism, the modern man is more likely to respond with prejudice. We just don't do that here. Whereas a medieval schoolman could give you a reason, as Hadley Arcus once explained. So somewhere along the lines, we stopped teaching and thus knowing the reasons behind so many of our assumptions and common sense. And of course, since assumptions without a basis of reason behind them are not rational or based in reason, they will not last. As Abraham Lincoln put it in his day, worrying about the revolutionary generation dying off and out in the 1830s, he said they, our founders, were the pillars of the Temple of Liberty. And now that they are crumbling away, the temple must fall unless we, their descendants, supply their places with other pillars, hewn from the solid quarry of sober reason. Passion has helped us, but can do so no more. It will, in future, be our enemy. Reason, cold, calculating, unimpassioned reason, 
must furnish all the materials for our future support and defense. Let those materials be molded to general intelligence, sound morality, and in particularly a reverence for the Constitution and laws, and that we improve to the last, that we remain free to the last, close quote. It's not a small issue. To remain free, you cannot assume or rest on laurels or previous accomplishments. How did Ronald Reagan put it? Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like to live in a country where men were free. Close quote. I was thinking about all this in the context of the border and immigration. Yesterday, 234 years ago to the day, the Constitutional Convention convened with its first quorum, including men like Alexander Hamilton and James Madison. Men, by the way, in their 30s. In their 30s, Bill. What's the matter with you? The basic issues, the foundational issues around borders and immigration were not new to them or unknown to us at least once upon a time as they were the essence of our founding principle of equality as well as the essence of common sense. Equality, you say? Absolutely. As Professor Kevin Porteous has put it, mutual or reciprocal consent is dictated by the principle of natural equality. If an immigrant can successfully impose himself on a political community in violation of its laws, then the relation between the immigrant and the community is not a relationship of equals. The immigrant is establishing himself as the rightful superior, as he has the power to dictate unilaterally the terms of the contract between himself and the community without the community's consent. It is the functional equivalent of entering a stranger's home and either handing him an arbitrary sum of money or none at all and moving in. This was something people used to know. As Plato puts it in the Mino, his play The Mino, all knowledge is but recollection of things we used to know, of knowledge already tucked deeply within us that simply needs to be unlocked. Common sense, which of course should be in concert with natural law or the laws of nature, which we were founded upon and appealed to, included the natural right of equality. At that convention 234 years ago, one Governor Morris, delegate from Pennsylvania and author of our Constitution's preamble, said this, quote, Every society from a great nation down to a club had the right of declaring the conditions on which new members should be admitted, close quote. Later, one Alexander Hamilton wrote the following to one Thomas Jefferson, quote, in the recommendation to admit indiscriminately foreign immigrants of every description to the privileges of American citizens, on their first entrance into our country, there is an attempt to break down Every barrier which has been erected for the preservation of a national spirit and national character and to let in the most powerful means of perverting and corrupting both the one and the other. National spirit, national character. That's what Alexander Hamilton wanted to preserve. 
and unrestrained immigration would pervert and corrupt both. Someone ought to tell the Hollywood and Broadway crowd about Alexander Hamilton's beliefs, don't you think? I should like to conclude with professors with the professor's remarks that uh, America's immigration problem is not a problem with immigrants, but with Americans. In order for the founders' policies to be intelligible and effective, America must return to the founders' principles of justice. If America is not based on those principles, then it is like the other nations, and the idea of America as an asylum becomes muddled and incoherent. If we accept feudal obligation and its modern incarnation birthright citizenship, then the ideas of government by consent and the right to immigrate become obscured as well. If we forget that consent is reciprocal and that the purpose of government is to protect the inalienable rights, natural rights of its citizens, and the right and duty to restrict immigration and naturalization becomes nothing, becomes nothing like an expression of racism and nativism. If we forget our heritage as a as a refusal for the virtuous and oppressed of the world, then we lose a significant part of what makes America exceptional. If we deny all these things, then the very idea of assimilation becomes incomprehensible. Now, what makes all this so darn hard are two things, plausible deniability and revisionism. The deniability, well, that would explain why Vice President Kamala Harris, tasked over two months ago to solve our border crisis, has given no interviews on the topic and has not and will not visit the border. Why? It would have to be covered. It'd be a major news event with a lot of media seeing and theoretically a lot of American people seeing what we saw on Monday. Not only a banality of evil, but also its physical artillery, like disposed containers of Plan B, dispensed to the women who are routinely raped as part and parcel of their transportation payment to those who have cartelized the border. Revisionism. Who we are, what we are, what we've done, and what we do, and what can we do not within the guardrails of our republic, as Joe Biden speaks of, but what can we do within the guardrails of reason and human nature? To wit, we should like to return to the notions about immigration that rested comfortably in the likes of Alexander Hamilton and our other founders, based on reason and common sense. The other side? Well, as President Joe Biden said in his first joint session to Congress last month, quote, we also have to get at the root of the problem of why people are fleeing to our southern border from Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador. The violence, the corruption, the gangs, the political instability, hunger, hurricane, earthquakes, close quote. To which Charles Kessler responds, a thorough moral and political reconstruction of three foreign countries should be a good start to solving the root of the problem. Solving for hurricanes and earthquakes might take a little bit longer, but if we can bend the moral universe to our will, why not the physical one? But where are we right now? We are where James Madison warned us we should not be. In Federalist 43, he put it that the rights of humanity must in all cases be duly and mutually respected. 
In the last 72 hours, I've witnessed a lot of humanitarian rights being mutually disrespected. To help wring us from slavery, we banned the importation of slaves under President Thomas Jefferson on the very first day the Constitution allowed for us to do that. To help wring us from this humanitarian, national security, and criminal crisis of illegal immigration, we should simply stop allowing for that attraction, permissiveness, anarchy, and importation, too. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Were there efforts to change the music while I was gone? That sometimes can happen. John and the Hallmans stayed, uh, they hewed close to the line here. Fabulous. Matt is in Phoenix. Hello, Matt. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. I enjoyed the event last night. I'm glad you were there. Thank you for coming. Yeah, I, I, got, I learned a lot of information, but the question is, they're not taking packs of money back across the border. How is the money getting transmitted? I beg your pardon. I just missed the question. Go ahead, Matt. Try it again. I said they're, they're not taking packs of money back across the border. How are they getting the monies back to Mexico? Remittances, electronic banking, transfers, vouchers, debit cards. And shouldn't we have a way, a mechanism of, of halting that or uh, at, least, at least having some oversight of it? We should if it comes from here. Uh, what if it comes from Russia, China, or somewhere else? We can't. There's not much to do, right? We, we don't have that ability. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Remember, too, I mean, this is kind of an important point because we think of remittances as often um, uh, Mexican-American families here, either first or beyond generations, sending monies to family or friends back in Mexico for these for these uh, for these travels or purposes. But keep in mind, most of what you see at the border right now, the the illegal crossings, most are OTM other than Mexican. It's not mostly a Mexican problem. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it may be a Mexican government problem, and it may be a Mexican cartel problem, but the individuals that uh, Border Patrol is picking up, the people that we saw, uh, they're from Cuba. They're from 144 countries. Can you believe that, Matt? They're mostly not from Mexico. Well, I mean – they're not stupid for what they want. Of course. Um, of course you're right. It's a plight. You're right. Hmm. No, I mean, I, 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 I would I, – I think I've heard Dennis say, and I think I'd agree, I, 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 I can't blame someone for wanting to give it a shot. And, uh, and if you have a shot to live in the greatest country in the world and you were born in – name me any other country in the world, wouldn't you want to live yep. here? Of course you would. Of course you would. It is a busting, though. It's an interesting um, dot that hasn't been connected by the right line. Two dots not corrected by the, connected by the right line, in a sense, uh, Matt, though, right? Because as you and I would readily acknowledge, if we were born in any other country, we'd probably do anything we could to live here. This is a policy the left is exploiting and, and wanting to make so, while at the same time they lecture us that we are the real s-hole country. It's kind of an interesting thing. No one's connected that point. Why is there an immigration problem? Why is there a gates problem for America in reverse? Countries have gates. You open gates, 
of the country, you see which way people run. Do they run in? Do they run out? You lower the gates. Right. right? You lower the gates. They still run in here. And yet the left is telling us this is the worst country, particularly for racial minorities. Uh, are we going to connect these two dots at some point? I don't know how to if I'm on the left. I'm glad I'm not. But I don't know how to make that connection. Has anyone ever asked Nancy Pelosi or uh, Ilan Omar if this country is was never really that great and is uh, stained with some systemic uh, racism? Why are people from minority races um, risking life and limb to get here? Right. They, they couldn't handle a question with that much uh, thought. I wonder what their answer would be. I wonder if anyone has ever asked them that. I mean, we talk about it here or think about it here, but I wonder if any journalist has ever really asked, let's say, Alexandria Cortez that question. I'm wondering what she would have to say in response. I don't know. I thank you very much for the time. No, I thank you, Matt, for being um, concerned about it. This is the point. We want people concerned about it. Just because it's not being reported doesn't mean it's happening. It's not happening, right? Uh, as, as, uh, as, as, as Gloucester says, then say they are not dead, but dead they are, right? Say they are not dead, but dead they are, but dead there is the body. Um, that's why Andy Biggs is convinced Kamala Harris will never go to the border, at least not until somehow, some way. The problem is quelled, but I don't know how you're going to quell it under the conditions that are going on right now. One of the most disturbing things I saw, and it's hard, very hard to communicate. One of the most disturbing things about all of this that I saw was the uh, I tried to describe this last night, but, but it was the banal routineness of it all. For example, you have a man and a woman and a child. I don't say mother father, son, because I don't know that. There's a lot of women, man, child that are not father, mother, son. Could be coyote. Could be any number of things. We found that too. But in the case of what you see when you go down there, if you go down there, and we saw this multiple times, as you'll see a man, a woman, and a child, or sometimes more than one child, often more than one child, calmly walking, It's hard to describe the distance between America and uh, Mexico, uh, between the Colorado River. But if I could try, I would say um, it's pretty much the distance of two dining room tables lengthwise. Think of a big line. I mean, if there were no current, you would just swim it easily. I mean, it's, it's a hotel pool. It's a hotel pool. It's less than an Olympic pool. It's less than that. Um, And then they get on this side, and then I want to tell you how it works. It's a very routine thing. They just see the Border Patrol. The Border Patrol sees them. They all walk towards each other calmly. No one's running. They just know this is part of the process. Okay, I go to Border Patrol. I tell them the right words. Border Patrol holds me. They process me, and 72 hours, I'm out. It's just an administrative game everyone is in on except the American people.
It's great to return to our culture and economy update with John Dombrowski of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. John Dombrowski also has a radio show every Saturday morning here at 7 a.m. The Word on Wealth. Happy Wednesday, John. Hello there, Seth. How are you? Boy, you are chipper today. I am chipper today. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get to the level that you start at. I mean, you you're, you wake up chipper. I don't know how you do it. We talked about it before. I think it's your clean living, but uh, it was good to see you well, last night. Thank or you for, maybe not. <laughs> thank you for coming to our event last night, John. Well, I was. I just can't tell you, Seth, how much I appreciate you and, and of course, the other uh, speakers there at the event. It was just absolutely incredible, and uh, what great wealth of knowledge and leadership that we saw there last night. Well, thanks for all you do, too, John, to make all of these things happen as well. It was emotional uh, in a way I didn't expect, wasn't it? Did you expect right, it to be as emotional yeah, for, as it was? I mean, uh, no, I did not. I didn't I mean, either. Uh, Dr. Gorka, of course, he had his moment, and mm-hmm. then, of course, um, we had Mike, who talked about his wife, yeah. and then um, Andy Biggs, yeah. of course, talking about uh, how how passionate he is about this issue of yep. the border and 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 the people who are suffering through this. So it was a very very well put together uh, program, and uh, thankfully um, we have uh, KKNT out there, you know, the Patriot to put these events on, and you to be able to uh, be the the speaker. Uh, and put it all together. So well, we you're awfully it. kind, John, and thanks for all you do to help us uh, reach as many people as we can as well. Talk to me. Uh, we are celebrating an anniversary today, for one thing, are we not? Yes, 125 years yes. for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm saying the Dow Jones Industrial Average. We talk about this. There are only 30 stocks that make up this industrial average, but if we go back to its original uh, form, Initially, it was not 30 stocks. It was only, I believe it was uh, 12 Yeah, about a dozen, right? That it started with. So interesting, when we think about how far we've come over 125 years, uh, it's amazing. And, you know, we've got 30 stocks, and people might say, well, why are those 30 companies in there? Well, there's a number of reasons, and if we think about the companies today that are in there, you've got 3M, American Express, Amgen, Apple, yeah. Boeing, Caterpillar, Chevron, Cisco. I mean, think about those names. Does, do they all ring some type of a bell? They are big, big companies, and these are part of uh, you know our national industry. And that's why they are part of the Dow Jones Industrial 30 right now. And from time to time, companies move in and out of them. But, you know, these are companies that many people invest in. They may not even realize they have investments in these. If you invest in mutual funds or if you invest in ETFs, a lot of these companies will be in those funds that you own. So you don't necessarily have to buy them individually. You can buy them within a fund. Perfect. John, um, investing uh, as a hedge against inflation, we're probably yeah. going to see some rising inflation data by the end of the week. I'm guessing, I notice some, most economists are saying they think, certainly hope it's temporary. You hear ads for uh, precious metals and other things as hedges against inflation, temporary or right. not. What about index funds? As hedges. Well, it's interesting. If you do want to own precious metals, you certainly can buy it through, um, you know, uh, buy the actual hard metal sure. and, and hold it. Or you can buy ETFs that actually uh, will be running along right right side by side with the price of gold. And we do that within our portfolios. It's uh, Sometimes it's a little bit easier to utilize those types of uh, funds because if you bought the gold and you ever wanted to sell it, well, how are you going to do that? You've got to go to your 
vault, <laughs> pick it up, bring it down to the local gold store, and uh, you know, and try to sell it. Whereas in an ETF or uh, some type of fund, you can buy and sell it uh, at a moment's notice. It's very simple. Um, but there are different ways to own gold. Is it a hedge against inflation? It always has been touted to be, Seth. Uh, but what's interesting about it is, as you mentioned, we may see some inflation right now. But the price of gold over the past, um, you know, few years, uh, it's it's gone up and down just like the market. That's what has. I was going to say. I, yeah, yeah. I, if I look at market patterns and gold pot patterns, I'm not sure if I see much of a not, yeah. not much of a difference. One thing I would say is, is to, as a hedge against inflation. Uh, you've got to be invested in something that's going to outpace inflation. And, you know, so being invested in stocks or bonds or mutual funds or even in gold, these are all ways that you could uh, try to keep up or outpace inflation is what we're really trying to accomplish for our clients so that we can help them build their net worth and not be running out of money. As I like to say, don't run out of money before you run out of time. And really, the only way you can do that is you've got to be able to continue to grow your net worth. So you have to be invested. And that is really over the long term, Seth, of course. Yeah. We understand there's risk. Sure. But over the long term, the, the markets have proven uh, themselves over and over and over again. That Dow Jones Industrial Average starting basically at zero is now at its value today of over that you know $30,000 uh, value. So uh, here we go. Uh, you know, another 125 years, hopefully, we'll be talking about this. Well, maybe not you and I, but it'll be talked about uh, where did it come from and uh, where is it today. So uh, stay invested if you're looking to work with an advisor who can help you um, through all of the opportunity out there for you to invest in. Well, that's what I do for clients each and every day. John Dombrowski, bless you, sir, and thank you for everything. Thank you so much for everything you do, Seth. Securities and advisory services talk to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finren Pacific and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thanks, Seth. You betcha. Thank you, John Dombrowski. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. The nation's report card just came out. It's technically known as NAEP, National Assessment of Education Progress. It is, for uh, most education professionals, considered the gold standard in testing. It's how we measure uh, our students from uh, elementary to to, uh, secondary and they do different uh, – they break down the tests into various uh, categories. Unfortunately, none of them come out at the same time, so they're sporadic. But we just got our science scores for the year 2019. 36% of our fourth graders are proficient in science. 36. Work with me, Bill. 35% of our eighth graders are proficient in science. 22% of our 12th graders are proficient in science. 36% at 4th grade, 35% in 8th grade, 22% at 12th grade. What does that tell you? Something Bill Bennett said that got him in a lot of trouble when he saw similar scores when he was Secretary of Education. What does it tell you? It tells you that the longer you stay in American schools, the worse you do in your topic. If you go from 36% proficient in fourth grade 
to 22% in 12th grade. That's what you call wrong direction. Not even right track wrong direction, just wrong direction. No, this wasn't during the 2020 COVID shutdowns. These were 2019 measurements when supposedly the professional teachers associations were building up all this credibility for us to uh, listen to them during 2020 and 2021. Okay, I um I have told you that uh, I have said I've spoken about different after effects, aftershocks of of COVID, and uh, one of them will one of them will be the way we educate ourselves and our children. I hope, I hope, not all the school choice legislation, not all the Supreme Court jurisprudence on choice and individual rights in education. But COVID, which showed to the vast majority of families something they had never seen before, which is what is it their kids are actually getting and from who. Plato says the two most important questions a society asks itself, Bill, are what? They're, they're related. Something like wh- who's doing the teaching? Who, exactly and right. Teaching? Who teaches the children and what are they teaching them? Exactly right. Well done. Who's mm-hmm. teaching the children and what are they teaching them? That was a lesson blasted to American families this year, and I hope, I hope, I'm just not in that world, but I hope they are scrambling to find alternatives. And where they can't, pushing for legislation and laws that allow it. There's really no reason, really no reason in a country that spends nearly a trillion dollars a year on K-12 through education – Nearly a trillion dollars a year, okay? Hundreds and hundreds, ten hundred billion dollars a year. A country that does that should be able to do something a little better than less than a quarter proficient in high school in science. Should be able to do a little better. For a trillion dollars. But why do we expect of our children abilities and reach and interest, our teachers and schools' abilities and reach and interest to be any better than anything else that's going on right now? Compared to the media, who's got a worse system? Who's doing worse by our citizens right now? This is a great question. I wonder what Dennis would say. It's a great question for his audience and this one. What institution is misserving America worse right now? The education system or the media? Obviously, one is affecting adults and one is affecting children at the primary level. But don't think that what happens in the schoolrooms doesn't affect what happens in the streets and in the halls of government and what happens in the media doesn't get soaked into the uh, schoolrooms. The 1619 Project, after all, is a class curriculum that was developed by the New York Times. That marriage, that collusion, it's not collusion, that marriage, that welding That admixture is already there. So it may be hard to separate. But here's an example of what I mean when I talk about who's misserving the media or education 
more. Jim Garrity at National Review says it's so weird, but it seems like every day another allegedly respectable, even-tempered, non-lunatic government official or public health expert or writer who had absolutely nothing to say about the lab leak theory for almost any day of the past 17 months now publicly states some version of, sure, this virus's origin is still unknown, a lab leak can't be ruled out, and a much more thorough investigation is needed. Well, welcome to the party, pals. Jonathan Chait wrote a piece titled How the Liberal Media Dismissed the Lab Leak Theory and Smeared Its Supporters. Matt Iglesias' most recent newsletter is titled The Media's Lab Leak Fiasco. The Washington Post chief fact checker Glenn Kessler wrote that the Wuhan lab leak theory suddenly became credible. Suddenly! CNN Zach Wolf writes, scientists are suddenly more interested in the lab leak theory of COVID origin. Where the hell were you guys last April? Garrity asks. Where the heck was all of this when the New Republic wrote that I, Garrity, was peddling an outlandish theory, that I was the media personality who jumped farthest down the rabbit hole? And when mainstream news outlets reported that most experts considered the Wuhan facility to be secure. Headline, 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 Jim Garrity links to. Now, get this. You morons. Idiots. Something else can't say you all sat there so smug and confident that you guys were the smart ones and that knuckle dragging little old me with my youtube video from an expat google translate versions of chinese state health agency websites and old medical research papers had to be chasing bigfoot and elvis and ufos will set up the buffet table of crow because i want to watch all of you eat a lot of it well said jim Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602 There's our good friend Rob. Hi, Rob. Well, hi, Seth. Welcome back. And again, I'm sorry I uh, couldn't make it last night to Scottsdale because, well, you know, the thing, my thing, of course, being that was my Joe Biden humor imitation. That was the uh, the house in Ajo, the house from Hades, and uh, I just, uh, I'm worn out. Uh, oh, and by the way, I uh, I have to mention, you know how the United States and Great Britain have that quote-unquote special relationship? Um, I think I'm sensing the same special relationship between Bill and I, because we talk, uh, before I come on, about, well, musical things, of course. <laughs> you guys have an ancillary show going on over there? Uh, it, it's possible. And it's, and it's rated PG, or, P, or actually G. It's, it's not a big deal. Anyway, I, I wanted to congratulate uh, both John Gabriel and the Holmans. They did a great job, as usual. And uh, Bill did a great job putting on Nobody's Hero by Rush from the Counterparts album on Monday. So <laughs> you guys did futz around with my music. Well, it's not. It's our music, collectively. Okay? It's, it's the music of... It's not our music. I'll tell you what it is. It's your show. It's our show. That's what, I can it's live with that. Show. I can live with That's that. That's right. Okay. Well, anyway, the um, uh, my, my uh, I guess main question had to do with any feedback that the Border Patrol's officer gave you guys when you were down there, uh, and and if they said anything about changes between the current regime and the previous administration. Oh, yes, quite a lot. Oh, yes, quite oh, a bit. Good. Yes. Feel, feel free to elaborate. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, it's what you would expect. Um, and, and one of the things that was discussed last night is the Sheriff's Department down in Yuma County is helping to stand up Border Patrol. That's 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 um, one thing that's different about Yuma uh, and the border there. 
the morale is the the morale is not good. Um, they are they are working in a process they know is a routine administrative process that mm. has depressed interest in the organization and makes them feel like they have no use. Yeah, and that may be one of the reasons why I'm seeing an increase of uh, Border Patrol recruiting ads uh, online. I think Facebook does a lot. I think uh, Twitter probably does a lot since I'm back up in there, too. So I'm, I'm uh, also sensing when I come north of Ajo, when I talk to the Border Patrol guys, when you go through that checkpoint 20 miles north of Ajo, um, I make them smile and laugh. I do, too. Still, I do, too. Yeah. We, I try. Yeah, they... But haven't you noticed, Rob? Haven't you noticed a change in demeanor from a year ago or two years? Yeah, yeah. It's it's it's. This was my shorty, buddy. Call back. Give me a call back. I know you have a big important thing on something I do want to discuss. So call back after uh, after my next interview, okay? Or whenever, whenever, or tomorrow. I don't care. I want okay. Whatever you want. Thank you. What do we got next? We have someone important coming. Ashley Schweikert. David Schweikert. Of course we do. Be right back. 